Well, good morning, good morning. How are you doing? How many still want summer? How many want fall? Oh. How many parents do we have with kids going back to school? Oh. How do you feel? Do you feel oh, excited to send them back? Oh my goodness, this week, it's just, I don't even do anything. It's all Sonia that does all this preparation, but I just feel the weight and stress of it all, buying markers and school supplies and, and clothes. And our kids wear uniforms, thank you, Jesus. So as you can imagine, they're super excited about having their uniforms back on. They have missed them the whole summer, and they're looking forward to it. Um, but... You know, bless you this week. Parents, I just speak blessing over you. If you're approaching this year with like eager anticipation and excitement, I celebrate with you. And if you realistically, parents, are approaching this year with stress or difficulty or circumstances that are hard, I just pray that God would be with you and give you peace this year. Um, amen, amen. We are beginning a new series at Northside. Do you remember our last series? It was Ephesians. It was awesome. We were built up, and, and last week we finished that off, and the sermon last week is actually the sermon this week, and I know it might sound a little bit odd to have the sermon ending a series be the same title as the sermon beginning a series, but it was just such a nice segue. Last week, we looked at a table for two. What does it mean to set up a table for two with you and with God? And this week, we're going to look at what is a table for a few. I'm actually not enjoying this microphone. So I'm going to, um, sorry, get rid of it. Sorry, my. You and I are not getting along today. It just was kind of bouncing and, is anybody else getting that? Was it just me? Thank you. I, okay. okay. I'm sure it's still me. I got to, thank you, Jen. Sorry, Jen. Thank you. Jen, our executive pastor, everyone. We just serve everywhere. Um, but it's, it's good. It's good to serve each other, and it's good to serve all of you, and it's good to serve, ah, Jesus. He's the best, isn't he? Today's message is called A Table for Two, Table for a Few, part Two. I didn't mean to rhyme that much. It just happened that way. And if you like rhyming, welcome. If you think it's cheesy, oh well. Our main point this morning is rediscovering church is about rediscovering communion and community around a table for a few. We're beginning a series called Rediscover Church. One of the first People that I met this morning and had a chance to talk to came in this morning for the first time to rediscover church. And I really want us to, to point out why do we gather? Why do you come to church? Why do I come to church? You might say because you have to, but why do you come to church? What are you expecting from church? I think there's two main aspects to what we're expecting at church. One is my vertical relationship one-on-one -on -one with God. My table for two. A lot of times you'll hear, you know, you do you. 
And it's this individual kind of relationship that you have with God. The second part, though, that is equally important is that you're actually joining a community, a table for a few. And rediscovering church is two parts. One is that my relationship with God and also my relationship in this community. And so rediscovering church is about communion and community around this table. Rediscovering church is rediscovering communion. Communion, which we'll celebrate today, you might have gotten a cracker, a wafer, and juice in a little package. Communion is a sacrament. And a sacrament is defined as this. It's means by which God's divine presence is actualized in the midst of a community of believers. Let me read it again. A sacrament is a means by which God's divine presence is actually present here in a community of believers. That's from theologian Michael Byrd. That's how he would describe a sacrament. And this is beautiful because what it means is that God is not far off. We are not worshiping a God who is distant by time or history or culture or space or realms. We don't worship a God who is far off. We worship a God who comes near. And as we celebrate communion, as we break bread and drink the juice, it is not merely a remembering that Jesus did something a long time ago. It is not simply something we remember once a month. It's meant to be Jesus' divine presence here among us. That when we break bread... And we drink the wine or the juice. Jesus is here. Rediscovering church is rediscovering community as sacrament. That Jesus literally is alongside the elements. When we worship and we sing and we sing that God is here and he turns graves into gardens and he he brings new life and he brings healing and he brings restoration and he brings deliverance and he brings salvation, that happens because he comes near, he comes here. Church is not a place of religion. It's not merely a place of teaching. It's not a place to just keep your kids off the streets so the world doesn't get them or anything like that. It's a community of people having communion with Jesus in the room.
So big part of rediscovering church, because I've been, I've been through this before where people say, oh, what'd you do on the weekend? And I said, I went to church. Oh my goodness, you're one of those. Because church itself has this, this idea that it's a building. Rules, regulations, religion, discipline, uh, obedience, uh, give your money, uh, all this stuff that people, it's not, it's that, yes, those are, those are results of something deeper. Share the something deeper. What'd you do this weekend? I met with Jesus. Whoa, what? Really? You saw him walking around? Long hair, long beard. No, I, I went to this space. It doesn't even matter what the name is. And I gathered with these people. And we had community and communion. And the craziest thing showed up when we broke bread and drank juice. Jesus was there. Rediscovering church is rediscovering communion with Jesus. There's two perplexing truths when we celebrate communion. One is that Jesus is present in the elements with us. Is that perplexing to you? I mean, hard to wrap your mind around? It is for me. The second equally perplexing truth, hard to wrap your mind around, is this. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ spiritually embodied in communion and community. That means we are connected to one another. It means that when you hurt, Pastor Wes, when you hurt, I hurt. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. It's very different from an individual journey with God. It means that we are all connected, that we are the spiritual embodied body of Christ when we gather. Rediscovering church is not that church is a building, but yet it is people who gather to have communion and community around a table for a few. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse five, and this is our theme verse. So we, though many, <laughs> I look out and, and if I went around the room, I think there would be about 35 different ethnicities, nationalities, and languages that are spoken, first languages in this room. So we are many, right? We come from a great distance. How many of you were born in Canada? How many people? 40%. How many were not born in Canada? More. And the USA counts, so that's me. <laughs> so we, though, are many, are actually one. One body in Christ. Individual members 
of one another. We are different body parts. We have some thumbs, some eyes, some mouths, some ears, some hearts, different organs. We're all represented as this body of different members, different organs, but we are one. When one hurts, we all hurt. And so today, as we move, last week I spoke a lot about our communion with Jesus around the table for two, and this week I want to move us from me to we. I want to move us from a table of two to a table of a few. So rediscovering church is rediscovering community. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So when one of us cries, we all cry. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us is suffering, we all suffer. This is not an individual sport. Church is a team sport. There is very real blessing transferred in the cup in communion. There's very real blessing that exists here because we are in community, because we are connected, we are interconnected. There is very real blessing. But when I saw this next part about the bread that is broken, I had a different picture. It said, is the bread that we break not a participation in the body of Christ? And many times what I think about when I think about community and I think about communion is this broken bread that we are all broken. We are all broken people. We come together as broken people, broken pieces that fit together in community. And many times I don't want people to see my brokenness. I don't want you to know my issues. I don't want to tell you how my week really has been. I don't want to tell you what I'm really struggling with because I want to keep this kind of facade up like everything's good. I go to church. I'm the pastor. I got everything under control. That is fake. That is not real. And that will never lead to connection. Community is that we would see the broken bread as our lives. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. When we break the bread, we participate in the broken body of Jesus Christ. And as I just shared, who is the body of Jesus Christ? You, me, us, we, community. See, when I come to church, rediscovering church is that when I walk into this community of believers, when I share my brokenness, and you share your brokenness, we actually connect. There's this... Uh, Japanese artwork called Kintsugi. And I'd like to show a picture of that. These are very expensive now, but 
What you have is you have broken pottery of all kinds, bowls, cups, vases, or vases. And what happens is, is these broken pieces are put back together with gold. And you might look at this and you might say, oh, that was a broken bowl at one point. But what happens so beautifully is that this gold that joins them together is like Christ. And we come in and we think that we have to look like a perfect bowl with no cracks and no chips so no one knows our stuff but we actually come as one of these pieces to church. And as we share our brokenness, as we share what's really going on in our life, guess what happens? We actually fit. And we are fitted together by Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit joins us together. So what was broken and alone becomes broken and together. As we sit at this table for a few and we make space. Each one of those pieces that needed space to fit. And so what happens is we sit around this table and somebody comes through the door and we say, there's space for you. There's space here. There's space there. These are empty chairs of opportunity for people to come broken and find connection, communion, community. Rediscovering church is actually discovering a place where brokenness is received. Rediscovering church is rediscovering God's table. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 15. There is actually something sacred happening. Do you feel it? What I feel is happening in this moment is that walls are coming down. Our definition of why we come to church is going to be radically changed in this season. Luke 15. Verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The outsiders. You know, these outsiders are causing a lot of issues and they're drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. 
you know, the pastors and the priests. They grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's Jesus again. He's, he's receiving sinners, tax collectors. He's eating with them. Jesus is making space at his table for these outsiders, these cracked pieces of pottery. They don't belong. And the religious are upset. Who do we invite to our table? Who do we not invite to our table? Is the church a place for all races and ethnicities and language and genders and gender identities and sexual orientation? Well, Joel, I, I would accept some of those at my table, but not all of those. Jesus made space for all at his table for a few. Do we make space at our table for the poor? Do we make space at our table for the rich? Do we make our, you know, space at our table for the educated or the uneducated? Do we make space at our table for those who got the COVID vaccine and those who didn't? Those who wear a mask and those that don't? Those that believe in abortion and those that don't? We have to erase the fact that people are not allowed to sit at our table unless they believe everything we believe. Because if we don't, we will never reach the unreached. Because the unreached need to be reached. The unreached are not going to wander into church to rediscover church because of what church has become. We reach the unreached in our community and around the world. We don't expect the unreached to reach us. And if they're neat and tidy and ex believe everything we believe, now they can sit at our table. Jesus is sitting with the outsiders that had no place at the Jewish table. It's important to understand that because the three stories that Jesus goes into about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son are all a reaction to that. All three are a reaction to the fact that the religious did not want Jesus eating at a table for a few with anyone. Context. 
verse 11. I'm going to read the story of the lost son, and I'll see how far I get this morning. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, so here he is, he spent everything. This is me. I remember when my parents helped me buy my first car. It was a Ford Escort. It was a 1998 Ford Escort. And it was like this weird goldy color. Um, and I remember it was brand new, you know, 0% financing, all that stuff. It was like, I don't know, it was like $200 a month or something. And my parents helped me get this car. And I remember about six months later, I was driving back from New York City and I fell asleep at the wheel in traffic and I totaled this car, totaled, gone, squandered it. That sums up my entire teenage years, that one incident. Somebody providing an opportunity, Joel squandering it. Joel driving something that moves, it crashes. I don't want to tell you how many things I've driven and crashed, but um, I mean, let's just say even on my honeymoon, I drove a scooter with my wife and, and managed to crash that. Okay, sides, can I share this? This has nothing to do with the message, but I was rented a scooter, can you drive it? Yeah, and of course, no problem. Uh, the scooter didn't have great brakes, I didn't know that, so we got on the scooter, and I'm like, this is honeymoon, right? This is like where you got to be the man and you got to like, you know, take her off into the sunset on this scooter. And so I'm picturing this thing as like a, you know, like a Harley Davidson, right? But it's a scooter. I take off and I hit a parked car. I mean, it was literally like within what, 30 seconds? I'm like, boom, boom, crashed car. Sonia's laying on the ground. Now she faints, but I actually thought she died. I thought somehow she fell off the back of the scooter and she's laying on the ground and she's going white. And I'm like, my wife, my wife, this is a honeymoon. I don't even know why I'm shouting this, but it was just this moment where I thought she died and she just fainted. And um, then we ended up paying a whole bunch of money for the scooter fix. Anyway, it has nothing to do with this prodigal son story. <laughs> but I had a habit of squandering, you know, squandering. That's where I was going with that. Sorry about that. Squirrel, you know, and I was gone. Um, but I, I squandered a lot. So I can understand. Reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. Isn't it always the case that when you spend everything, a famine just comes up? And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Never stood out to me before. A Jewish boy 
working with pigs. A Jewish boy who has an identity in his father's house and no one gave him anything to eat. Who do you think Jesus is talking about in this story? He's talking about the sinners, the tax collectors. Never stood out to me before, but it stands out to me now. The fact that no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The boy had forgotten his identity. He was embarrassed. He was shameful. He thought if I return to the father, I'm just going to go in as a servant. I'm just going to go in as doing menial tasks. I'm just going to like wash my father's feet. I'm just going to sneak in the back door. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to lower myself and I'm just going to take what he'll give me. And I know that I don't, I'm not worthy to be his son. I know that what I've done for, with my life is I've messed it up. I have been reckless and I do not deserve my father's blessing anymore. And how many times have we met people in our life that are just, I don't, God is going to see me this way. God's not going to want me. I've done too much. I've been reckless with my life. I've got broken marriages. I, I've been bankrupt. I, I've hurt people. Joel, I, God's not going to be. I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to get struck by lightning because God would never accept me as a son or a daughter. I'll just sneak in the back door and be this servant. But God isn't that way. What happens is that God always has a place at his table. And even when you've spent it all, partying, drugs and alcohol, and that was my teen years. Even when you've hurt people, Jesus says, I have a place at my table for you. It just so happens, Joel, I just set this, this place setting out for you. Sit, eat. So the boy heads home. At this point in the story, I want to pause because I can imagine the religious leaders they're waiting for the vengeance of the father. They're like, oh, he's going to return home and his dad is going to beat him senseless. And he's going to make him work in the worst possible place on the farm. They're waiting for vengeance because that's what religion does. And he arose and came to his father. 
But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Again, in Jewish culture, it's important to remember the context. Number one, a father would never run. A a man would never show his legs. A father with a son who just squandered everything would never have compassion and go out to meet him. What I always think about when I read this is that the father ran out to meet the son so that the son didn't have to walk through the town. The father ran out to meet the son because you need to reach the unreached. He had compassion. He deserved condemnation. Jesus had compassion. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders saying, is it better to leave them out there or bring them in? Not only does the father bring him in, but he said to the servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son. He never lost his identity. He never became a servant. His dad never threw out his robe and threw out his ring and and got rid of his sandals. His father never cleaned out his house. His father never moved somebody else in that was a better son. His father said, get the robe, the ring, sandals. It's time to party because my son was dead and is now alive. See, rediscovering church is discovering there's a place at the Father's table and every place setting is son and daughter. A special place just for you. A special place for your friends and your family. Who in my life do I need to run after? If I see this now from the perspective of the father, if I'm the father, who is it in my life that I need to have compassion on? Who is it in my life that I need to go out and meet and reach? Who is it in my life that I need to remind you are a son, you are a daughter? I'll close the story with this. The older son was in the field. Who do you think the older son is? The scribes? And the Pharisees. And he heard music and dancing. He heard this party was going on. And so he asked one of the servants, 
What are these things meant? And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in, religious leaders. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, religious leaders. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, this sinner, this tax collector of yours came home, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus shows the radical grace of the Father. Jesus shows the love of God that there is always place at his table. The challenge for us as we also set up a table for a few in community and communion is who are some of the outsiders in our life that we need to welcome to the table? Who are some of those that we've judged? I, I want to invite us this fall to press into life groups. Life groups are a place to set up a table and pursue God together in a small community. We're continuing to look for hosts and facilitators, and that might sound a little daunting and challenging, but we will help you all the way through it. And so would you consider being a host, someone that opens up their house, sets up the table, being a facilitator, those who find a study for the group to look at and study it together. Would you consider that? Would you pray about it? Would you ask the Lord, is this a time where I need to be part of setting up a, a table with life groups? Would you at least consider that? Yeah couple of you. Thank you. God has a plan for us individually and corporately. And I want to pray over us that as we now celebrate communion and pastor Jen will lead us in communion, that we would share in community with each other. Father, I, I thank you for your word, your word that has different perspectives and different facets to it. Lord, I pray that whether we are the lost son or daughter, whether we are the older brother, <laughs> whether we are the father in the story, Lord, whether we feel like a servant in the story, that we all have a place at your table, Jesus. And we can all make space at our table, Jesus, for others. In the name of Jesus, amen.